0: Can you hear me? Yes. okay, I can hear myself um, cool Th- i've never ha- used a body mic before i've always used one of these, and it's so interesting that I can move my hands yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really exciting. Um, I am very honored and just I feel a great privilege to be able to be here today with you this morning and um, this actually uh, feels really homey. It feels a lot like the church that I grew up in, which is in the Bakersfield area in California. And those of you who have any knowledge of that area know that it's very small. There's fields and cows and the five, and that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, It's just a um, very uh, small town place, and I'm even from a smaller town called Lamont, which is about Five to ten miles from Bakersfield, but um yeah, so I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and um, it's pretty small too uh, so it feels uh it feels nice to be here with you today and feel a homey vibe um, so uh let's see what else can I what else do you guys want to know about me uh, I am twenty seven um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not very old. <laughs> I mean, it's not very young, I mean. Um but uh yeah, um and it's really interesting to hear someone introduce you because they see things that you don't see about yourself, right? So it's like it's interesting to uh to see uh what Rick and I think um other of my colleagues see whenever um or say about me things that I don't really think about sometimes Um, I do like uh, the older Mexican music yeah son Pedro Infante yeah Um, my dad and my parents are from Puebla Uh, they were both born in Puebla but they grew up in the city and I lived in Mexico City for about four years when I was very young so I speak Spanish Spanish is the best language ever It's the language we're gonna speak in heaven (laughs) There you go, you're getting there, you're getting there. Um, So yeah, I just, um, I feel there's such a depth to Spanish um, that maybe is because I'm a little biased, but I don't think so. Um, So yeah, um, I'm really glad to be here. And um, so the first thing that I'm going to ask you just to, before we open our Bibles, is to open your wallets. And don't worry, I'm not going to raise another offering. So if you have your wallets available. OK, so pretend that you got stopped by a cop. What is the first thing that you do? You reach for your wallet, right? Or your purse. <laughs> You're right, right. Um, and then, so what do they ask you for? License or registration. So you give them your license, right? So if you look at your license, what kind of information is there in your license? What is that? Lies. (laughs) Lies. Your A's, your high (laughs) card. Your weight. It has a picture of you, right? It has your name. Your birthday. Your birthday. Yeah, so whenever I uh, was thinking about what to uh, preach, and this is something that has been in my heart, in my mind for quite a long time now I think that maybe it's because I'm a young person who is um, figuring out who I, who who I am right because I am I have been going through for more than 10 years through an adolescent stage. Now I'm coming into uh, late adolescence and adulthood, early adulthood, young adulthood. And so um, this topic of identity, which is what I would like to uh, explore today, which is I think um, something that Patty uh, talked about a couple of weeks ago a little bit. Um, It's something that I would like to explore, that I would like us to explore. So yeah, in your ID you get um, your name, right? You get something about biology. Are you a man or a woman? Are you um, female or male, right? Then you get residents, like where do you live? And you even get some information about your ethnic background, right? Your, your last name tells a little bit about your culture or where you come from. And right, it also has the picture. Um, for those of you that speak Spanish or are Latin, you might know that, um, that saying that says, Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Tell me who you hang out with and I'll tell you who you are. Right? And I think that you probably heard older people say it a lot growing up. And it was mostly telling you, like, be careful who you hang out with, because you might become like them, right? So identity is based on our relationships and our acts and behavior. So that's kind of like a way that culture looks at identity. And so people you hang out with influence you, right? Um, I, um, helping Centro Latino, which is a part of our school at Fuller, that um, the Spanish-speaking community at Fuller. And most of the people that I serve with on this student leadership group are from Colombia. And so whenever I hang out with them, my Spanish gets a little bit of a Colombian accent. right? So whenever I'm with them, I get influenced by their Colombianness. which is really fun and I really like it, I appreciate it. Um, So yeah, the people that we hang out with have an influence in who we are. Um, So we take, so much of who we are is taken from other people as well. So this is true, right? It, It is true that we start to resemble those that we hang out with or who we spend time with, but I also feel like it's kind of a generalization. Especially when it's like an older person kind of like judging a group of young kids, you know? It's Like the individual gets lost in the group. So um, how do we know who we are? That's kind of a question that I think we're always kind of trying to answer or it's always somehow in our hearts and somehow in our minds. And if it's not, maybe it should be. Right, so um, I think that John 4 is an excellent example where we can see how a person, in this case a Samaritan woman, comes to know who she is. Um, so if you can open your Bibles, but we're not going to go to John 4 yet. Um, we're going to go to John 1 because we need a prologue. Like in Star Wars, you know how you get the words that are scrolling up. It's a prologue. So we need a prologue to the story of the Samaritan woman. So we're going to start in John 1.1. And whenever you have it, you can say, hallelujah. <laughs> All right. awesome. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. So I am going to read... Well, I'm going to read 1, 1 through uh, 12, so you can follow along. I think you all have your Bible. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, what? Like, Does anybody else say that, or is that just me? Right? Okay. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John is like super cool. I really like him. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the wor- world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then we're going to focus on two verses in this prologue. The first verse is three. Through him all things were made. The second verse is verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is the prologue. This is what I think that John put here in the beginning of this book, which is, by the way, my favorite gospel. In John, we get, like, this really dramatic, like, scandalous Jesus. We get the Jesus that says, like, you have to eat my body and drink my blood and, like, tells people off and stuff like that. And it's, like, really intense. And, um, yeah, so I think that John is, like, the funnest, like, gospel in the New Testament. So this is um, the prologue, right? We get this in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And this is the beginning of all time. This is like back to Genesis. This for the people that were listening to this, the Jews that were listening to this at the time. This goes back to like Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created, right? But here, John's saying in the beginning, yes, God created. God created through the Word. And the Word was with God. Okay, the Word was with God. And everything was created through the Word, but... The Word was God, and that's just like a mind-bend, right? So this is the cosmic drama. This is the backdrop that this story of the Samaritan woman is going to take place in. It's like the mega story that everything, even us, are taking place in, right? So um, this is Jesus, this guy, Jesus, that we're gonna learn about in this book is that word. This Jesus is the creator, Jesus. This Jesus is the designer, Jesus. This Jesus is the star-breathing, the galaxy-breathing, speaking God And that is this Jesus that has become incarnate, that has come to the world to inhabit with us, right? So um, this is the Jesus that has come to adopt. This is an adoptive Jesus. We saw in verse 12, right? Whoever believes in him has been given the right to become a child of God. So this creator, designer God is wanting to adopt all of us, as we're going to see with this Samaritan woman. So now, we're going to fast forward and go to the intro of our story. Now we go to John 4. And here we're going to see this identity redefining Jesus, who is like adoptive and creator God and designer all at the same time. And it's just so amazing, right, that this, like, it's, I can't even fathom. I, I start to think about it, and I'm just like, I can't, I, I can't make sense of it. Like, g- the word, the God, and everything is just, it's just too wonderful, right? But let's keep going. Um, all right, so John 4.1, actually. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Dang. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And I want us to pay special attention to this. Now he had to, he needed to, he must, he must go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Blah, 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 blah. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, Jesus got tired too, uh, sat down by the well. It was about noon. There's always these like little hints and like things that there's in the Bible that we sometimes don't pay attention to, right? It was about noon, and it's like, kind of like, oh, yeah, it was noon. But it's going to be very important later on, as I'm sure you, some of you already know. Samaritans. So, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much this morning for everything you have done for us, for um, your design all the way since the beginning when you were already thinking about us and already thinking of the encounters and um, just the design and identity that you decided you were going to give us and that we have to trust in and not even work for and that um, we can use to serve you and to just be in great communion with you through the Holy Spirit. We ask that you open our hearts and you open our minds and that you um, help me get through this um, word that you have put in our hearts and in our time today this morning. And yeah, so we just thank you for your love and we thank you for um, everyone who is here, who is here ready to listen to what you have to say, to uh, what love you have to project onto all of us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So um, I feel like there are two big changes here in this story. And we're going to go through John 4. So we're going to pretty much say this. So you can share that in your Bibles. We're going to go through John 4. And the way I see it, I mean exploring the conversation that this woman has with Jesus, or that Jesus has with, that they have with each other. This conversation, I see two major changes that happen. And these are based on like the exchange that they have, you know, the words that they say to each other. So number one, I see that the woman kind of gives arguments, right? She gives reasons for why she thinks she is who she is. The first one is historical and biological. She says, how can you ask me for water, a Samaritan, and then on top of that, she's a woman, right? In that time, um, let me give you a little bit of background. We're going to like fly through a little history lesson. Um, Back in the day, Abraham, when he left his house, he went to Sakem, and that's where um, he made a sacrifice to the Lord, right, and it was like a holy place, but he didn't stay there. He kept going. He kept going to the promised land, and then sometime later, Jacob buys this plot of land that Abraham had made the sacrifice at, this second place. He buys that plot of land, and he gives it to his son, um, Joseph, right, and the woman's gonna say this later on in the story. Um, So, Time passes, and what happens with um, the people of God, with Israel, is that there's a division, there's a separation. It gets divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is called Israel, and it becomes Samaria, and the southern kingdom is Judah, and they make their capital in Jerusalem. So the southern kingdom people, they worship at Jerusalem. The northern kingdom people, they worship at Samaria. Right, so that's already like one conflict, very important conflict that these two people have between them. That's one of the main reasons why Jews don't like Samaritans. So another thing that happens is that because these, um, these uh, con- this country got separated uh, and because there, it just happens in life and in the world, people always want to take over other places, right? So um, Assyria takes over the northern place for a while, right? And then um, what they do is that they send people from these other pagan places to colonize Israel. So um, all these Assyrians move in and they start praising their own gods. And so the... um, the people that stayed at Samaria that that have Jewish background start praising these gods too. So they kind of like turn against God. And so Israel um, is, well, Israel goes into exile through Babylon, right? Babylon kind of like comes and like takes over and like takes them out of their land, but they get to go back. They get to go back and reestablish and kind of like throughout time they kind of try to put, the country back together, but the Samaritans are like, nah, we're cool, and we kind of like worshiping these other gods, so there's more tension, you know, like, not only are you turning your back on God, on Yahweh, but also you're like, you're siding with the enemy, you don't want to come back to us, you don't want to be, uh, and these are like cousins, right, that are like fighting against each other. So, um, yeah, so that's why the, uh, the Jews really did not like Samaritans. So they turn, they turn their back on God. They turn their back on their people. And they're breaking the laws that God was give, had given them, right? They are impure. They're, like, dirty. They're just, like, the worst. The worst people that the Jews could have ever, like, encountered. So um, in those days, we saw that Jesus needed to go to um, Galilee, right? Yeah. In those days when someone needed to go to Galilee or the other or back where did he come from Judea they would go around Samaria and it would take them like three extra days three extra days just so that they didn't have to go through Samaria and encounter any Samaritans okay that is how much they dislike Samaritans in Spanish this. Saying that goes, no los querían ver ni en pintura. Like they didn't even want to look at a picture of these people. That's how much they disliked them. So, um, so we see that Jesus had to go through Samaria, and I think Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an encounter with this Samaritan woman. He had an appointment with this woman that he needed to meet with her, right? I'm not making any sense, I'm sorry. My sentences are becoming a little yeah, you get, you get where we're going. Okay, so this woman, right, is like, why are you even talking to me? Like, why are you asking me for water? You're not even supposed to like want to look at me. You're supposed to hate me. This is the woman, like this is her reply, Like, based on all the history from our people, we're not supposed to talk to each other, we're not supposed to be civil to each other, right? So I feel like Jesus kind of gives her a reply to this before she even says this, like before she even asks this question, because um, the well, and this is another history kind of lesson, In verses three and four, um, we see that Jesus initiated the conversation. Right? We see um, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. Like I, for me, that's already like Jesus being intentional. That's already him starting to have this encounter with this woman. That's already him replying to her question, like, why are you talking to me? But if we look at of the fated encounters throughout the Old Testament of men meeting women at a well, we can see something about why Jesus meets this woman. Um, in Genesis 24, Abraham's servant finds a wife for Isaac at a well, right? He finds... Rebecca. In Genesis 29, Jacob meets Rachel at the well. In Exodus 2, Moses meets Zipporah. So we have these encounters at wells of men going to meet their beloved, going to meet their bride, right? And of course, Jesus didn't get married to this woman, but he is going to meet someone whom he loves someone that is waiting for him that is wanting that reciprocation that relationship with him so just by talking to her even looking at her jesus has shattered a framework of her identity in his society in this society it's a samaritan and a woman she is a traitor she is impure. She is to be avoided. But Jesus' actions say so much more, so much more than any, any words that could ever have been said, right? Jesus is saying, hey, hey, I see you. I see you. I recognize your existence. I care about you. I love you. This is what Jesus is starting to um, tell this woman just by being there and just by talking to her for by asking her hey can i have some water right and then um in verses 10 through 15 he goes on to tell her um if you knew who was talking to you you would ask me for water and i would give it to you and you would get living water right so we're gonna we're gonna come back to that in a little bit right so um we get to see that Jesus is like is just shattering her expectations of how she's supposed to be treated, based on who, culture, based on who society, based on who history, has said that she is, right. The second um, interaction that I see is an interaction of revelation. And this is so awesome because Jesus is just, like, so chill about this. And I found that, like, interesting. So um, we get revelations. We get her personal history, her background, ooh, right? Her circumstances. We get the labels that people have put on this woman in these next few verses. So the next verses is going to be 15 through 17. is quite right. And just imagine Jesus being like, oh yeah, I know all this about you. Like, bam, there it is. It's like, what? (laughs) Uh So this is where we get the other piece of information where like, oh, it was about noon. This is where that comes into play, you see? Because this is a woman in olden times who has, there's no like sewer, there's no like water company, you know, like she has to go to the well and get water to use to drink and to use throughout the day, right, to cook and wash whatever she needs to wash. So women in this time used to go to the wells in the mornings because who wants to go to the well when it's noon and it's super hot outside, right? So they all go in the morning and they're like, you know, it's still shady, maybe it ha- the sun hasn't risen yet, and there's all these women, maybe with their, some of their kids, no, maybe they're sleeping. So um, there's these women and they're, um, getting their water, and so all the women are going at the same time, so naturally women are communicative, so they talk, you know, and maybe they gossip, you know, they talk about their day. They say what's happening. So um, something has happened that this woman can't do that. She can't go to the well at the time when every other woman goes to the well. She is not, maybe, she's not received well there. She is shunned. She is shamed. Why? Well, we kind of get a little background information because she's had five husbands. Now, this is back in the day. Women didn't really have, women couldn't divorce their husbands. Like the husbands were the ones that divorced their wives. But also, if a husband died, the woman had to have a husband or else she couldn't really survive. So she had to marry someone. That usually the brother or another male relative was what was called the um, relative redeemer who would like marry this woman and make sure that there was um, kids that they had so that the lineage could continue. So don't be so quick to judge this woman, but there is something, right? There is a history there. And there's also this saying that she's not married right now. She's living with a man, but it's not her husband. So, um, so we see that she's marginalized. And this could be not just for that, you know, for any other number, number of reasons. Um, even her own people shame her. Even her own people don't wanna be around her. Even her own people don't make her feel welcomed. So she goes to the well the hottest time of day. She says, "Um, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So we get this tension again, right? The religious tension that back in the day, it was not just religious, it was the law. This was the law. There was no state and religion. It was all together. And so this is pretty intense right? This is very important for them. So this tension, she's going into it, but I feel like she's not asking him this question to avoid the revelation that came out about her. I feel that she's like truly honestly wanting to do something about that. She's saying like, I see that you know the truth. I see that you know um, you're a prophet. I see that you have the truth about Yahweh, so tell me right now so that I can go make it right. Tell me where I have to go give a sacrifice so that I can be forgiven. I feel like this is what she is saying here. Right? Where can I go give sacrifice? Where can I go be forgiven? Jesus says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus just gives her like this answer that she's totally not, like, prepared for, right? He always does this, and I just find this so awesome. He just never really answers the way we expect, but it's, like, the right answer. So, you Samaritans worship who, what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. How, how interesting. Has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We're already seeing another rupture and like a framework of this woman, right? And of Jews, really, of anybody who would have heard Jesus. There's going to be a time when... It's not going to be neither here nor there, and that time is now, and that is so like refreshing for this woman, right? That she doesn't have to go all the way over there, and that this man Jesus has the answer, and he's going to tell her. So then, Jesus, um, the woman says, "I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything." to us. And I just love this. Then Jesus said, oh yeah, that that's me. I am, I'm, I'm that man. I'm that Christ. I'm the Messiah you're waiting for. <laughs> so now, not only does Jesus know this woman, right? He's already told her her life. He's already told her her past. He's already told her her present when she might or might not have divulged to other people, but now Jesus reveals something about himself. Jesus reveals, I, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And this is the first person in the book of John that Jesus tells this to. How powerful is that? A woman, a woman that's not even from his tribe. A woman who's not even cared for by her own people. A woman who can't even go to the store, to the well, wherever, at the same time as other people are about because she's so shamed. God chooses the most unlikely people, doesn't he? But he knows what's best. So not only um, does he know her, he lets himself be known to her. And she is reconciled, right? Um, not, there won't be here nor there, neither Samaria nor Jerusalem, but anyone, anyone can be reconciled. Not just the Jews, not just Samaritan. She's reconciled. She enters into a relationship. She enters into an intimacy with Jesus because now she knows who he is. Now she knows something about him that other people don't really know, right? um. And this woman is also the first evangelist in the book of John. Um, oh my gosh. So we see the changes in this woman, right? We see how this encounter with Jesus totally radically changes how she sees herself. And as, as a result of that, it changes how she acts. It changes her behavior. So she uh, she changes from hiding out, from not wanting to be seen by people, not wanting to be judged, not wanting to feel shame, to going out and telling others exactly what has happened to her, even though that's revealing her past, right? So um, this is sort of, sort of a little aside, but we need to spend a little bit of time on this. Um, in verses 27 and 28, right, remember the disciples had gone to buy food. The disciples are, I feel like, sometimes always so clueless, and they come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's just like, but Jesus loves them, and you, you know, everything that happens, Jesus uses them in incredible ways. So um, the disciples come back, right, and they're coming back from getting food, and I just imagine it like this, like, there's 11 boys, 11 guys, right? 11 guys, 12, sorry, 11 guys. Well, they could have been young men. They're like talking out loud, like joking, saying like, hey, that, um, that hummus was really good. I really liked it. Um, how was your salad or whatever? That naan was awesome. And then they start to see Jesus, who's sitting at this well or like standing by this well, Talking to a woman, and all of a sudden, like, it's like loud, and they're like, and they started, like, maybe walking a little bit slower and, like, kind of like looking. And they, it, the, the Bible says that they don't say anything, they don't say, Jesus, why are you talking to her? They don't say that. But there's definitely some tension there, right? There's 12 guys. And so the Bible says that uh, the woman leaves her jar or her thing, and she leaves. Okay, if you're a woman in those times, and you see 11 guys coming up to you who are not looking very friendly, what are you going to do? You leave there, you leave your stuff, you go get some other people, your entourage, so that you can feel safe, right? So that's what this woman does. So sometimes I feel like um, uh, there's people... And they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus is awesome. He, like, loves me, and I like what I'm hearing Jesus saying. Oh, but his followers, they're kind of scary sometimes. They kind of look at me weird sometimes. Like, I really like Jesus, and he's pulling me in, and I'm getting attracted by him. Oh, but his followers are kind of pushing me away. They might not say it, but I'm getting this vibe like, I might not be welcome there, oh, oh, but I'm sure that doesn't happen here, right? No, none of you have ever seen that. no, I'm just throwing it out there so um so she leaves, right? She goes to get more people, but this doesn't stop her right we seen uh verse twenty nine she says. She says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this man be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And this is another part where like, Jesus says something that seems totally random, and the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? But we see Jesus starts t- talking to them about, like, the harvest, right? He's like, don't you see that um, you say in four months we're going to pick up the harvest? And he says, some people sow, and then some people reap. And you are lucky today because you are going to reap. Because guess who's been sowing? This Samaritan woman. And she's bringing a bunch of people with her. And Jesus is going to be talking, but he's going to need some help. And that's why the disciples are there. So they're going to reap the harvest that the Samaritan woman has sowed. Right? So chapter 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And I love this, this little part. They said to the woman, We no longer just, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the savior of the world, not just of the Jews, of the world. Her past, her shame, her limitations became her testimony. It was the reason why they started to believe. It was the reason why they came to Jesus in the first place. She acted from her new identity in Jesus, from her identity as beloved, as reconciled, as daughter of the creator, as someone who has a relationship with the God who wants to have a relationship with her. She acted out of her identity as an evangelist, as someone wanting to share the love she received from Jesus right so how do we understand this today when you when I say that I'm getting close to being done so don't worry we don't have that much time um, so your identity is not based on external things right we saw this woman who was Samaritan and she was married and not married so your identity is not your spouse it's not based on your spouse Or your children. Your identity is not based on your children. It's not based on other people. Your identity is not based on your cultural background. Or the things that you've done. It's not your shame. It's not your sins. That is not who you are. You are not your job. You are not your circumstances. You are not your success. You are not the car you drive. You are not how much money you have in the bank. You are not your failures. World, the world and the culture that we live in does not get to dictate who we are. For young people, culture is always trying to tell us. Well, for everybody really, but culture is always trying to tell us and define us, right? Um so the uh there's always like ads on television and magazines and movies trying to tell us. Um, who culture wants us to be. So for young people, it might be like the things you own. If you own cool stuff, you are cool. Or if you do this, you are this person, this kind of person. Your career is not who you are. Social success. Social status. Being married is not who you are. Or being single is not who you are. You're not defined by how many friends you have on Facebook. You're not defined by how many followers you have on Twitter. On Instagram. And for us who are no Latinos, um, you are not defined by your immigrant status. No eres mojado, no eres ilegal, no eres nada de eso. That is not what defines who you are. That is not what gives you worth and that is not what gives you value. Now, I'm not saying these things are not important. They are important. Some of these things are very important but they are uh, not what defines us, right? What this text is telling us is that these things do not get to limit us and do not get to define who we truly are. These characteristics and circumstances do not define and do not dictate our lives or our worship. They don't dictate our relationship with God And they don't even dictate our relationships with one another, right? When our circumstances are used by God, they are not limits. As we saw by this woman, what had limited her was what gave abundant glory to God. It was used so so greatly. Um, So what does God say? What does God say about who you are? God says, You are my beloved. I love you. That's who you are. You're the one that I love. You are the person Jesus needs to encounter. You are forgiven and you are reconciled. John 1.12, remember? Whoever believes in him gets to be called a child of God. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. And, verse 23, you are in the Spirit. You are true worshipers. That's what you are. You are sowers sometimes, and you are reapers sometimes. You are uh, someone that gets to tell others about the love of Christ. You are someone who gets to tell the good news. You are someone who gets to share God's love. So how can we worship God with all our being in spirit and in truth, like verse 23 said, if we base our identity on success or spouse or children or boyfriends or girlfriends or our job, our career, or our circumstance? When our identity is not based on God, we create idols, right? Right? Because if our sense of identity is taken from something that we're doing or something or someone else, we're always going to want to come back to that thing to get to feel good about ourselves, to get a sense of identity. So um, whatever we feel that gives us identity or worth will take over our lives. When you're drinking from a fountain that is not God, whatever quenches your thirst is what you're going to keep chasing. And guess what? That is not the living water. So you're going to have to keep going back to it. So what you need is the living water. The thing that Jesus wants to give this woman, right? You need Jesus. So Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that tells you to drink, you would have asked him and he would give you the living water. So we're like almost finished for reals this time. <laughs> I know you guys have a uh, space to take notes so um, you can uh, write your answers to, I have three questions and you, can, you don't have to answer them but I will say them so that we can think about them, right? Um, And so we can think about them as we live our lives and as we read the word and as we are um, ministered to by others. So the question number one is, what characteristics or circumstances in your life are false identity sources? So what in your life are you clinging on to that you think is giving you a sense of identity? What is it? write it down, and I think I can um, also uh, give some of my notes to whoever takes care of the thing online so you can see these later. Number two, how are these false identity sources limiting my worship and, my, and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? And through, uh, through today's word and this exercise, we need to keep in mind that Jesus is not looking for behavior modification. Jesus doesn't just want us to change what we're doing. Jesus wants us to understand our true identity. As we saw with the woman, it is after she understands who she is that she changed her behavior, right? So we get to understand the deepest and truest parts of who we are. So um, number three, and this one you can keep in mind as you read the Bible and stuff. What are the truths from my, what are the truths from my identity in God that confront and oppose the false identity? So, what is God telling you, that who you are, you know, who you are truly? What is God telling you about that? And you can uh, keep that, you know, as you read the Bible, keep it um, in prayer so that the Holy Spirit can reveal these things to you. And um, it's always changing, and this is only a little tiny bit of what we can talk about identity. It is a very uh, huge topic, but um, this is just something that we can do, something that's more practical for us to think about this. Um, So in this cosmic drama starring God, the designing, creating, and reconciling Word That is Jesus. As God's creation, the source of our identity is God, right? God created us, so he knows who we are. Um, It is Jesus. Jesus was the word, and the word, like, everything was made through Jesus, and that is just, like, mind-blowing. It's the Holy Spirit who is also there and who is with God, three in one. Um, We are the beloved. We are the grace receivers, we are the reconciled, we are uh, those that get to experience knowing and being known by God. So, um, we can have the worship team come up. See, I told you I was almost done. Well, that was, okay, anyway. (laughs) Um, So today, uh, you might be thinking that you need to encounter Jesus at this well. Um, Maybe there's some false identities that have been tugging at you and you need to let those go and you need to come to Jesus and get the true identity that he has made for you. So um, maybe you're ready like the Samaritan woman, ready to encounter Jesus ready to be given your true identity, ready to be told who you are. Maybe you're uh, like the woman also. Uh, There's something bringing you down. Maybe there's shame or something trying to keep you away from your true identity in Jesus. Maybe you're like the disciples, which I sometimes am, you know? We have been judging others and... um, labeling or listening to those labels that others have placed on other people and we have have let that um, have a bias on the way we act towards others so if there's any of these um, things that are stirring in your heart if there is any other uh, prayer that you have any uh, identities that you want to get rid of, you can come up and um, we can pray for you, help you pray and if you want to accept Jesus if you want to encounter Jesus today, if you want to be given that true identity, we are here for that as well, so you can come up